Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is, no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. Gru, producing the show today and always. So I, I, I'm legitimately confused. that this, this tropical depression that is supposed to give us rain across the state later today, I, I keep... When I, when, I, when I hear the forecasters describe it, when I first heard it, some people were running it all together, and it sounded like tropical storm crystal ball. It, it's not that. And then you have some people that are saying Cristobal, others that are saying Cristobal, you know, and it's just, it's, why don't we just call the thing Charlie and just be done with it, you know? Sure, there you yeah, go. It's, it's okay, it's because it, it's, it's, it's going to rain. Tropical storm Charlie is going to like dump some rain here, and we we don't know exactly how much and where it's going to hit, but we will continue to keep you updated. It sounds like uh, in the western part of the state it's going to get more than in the eastern part, but time will tell. All right, now it was interesting if you were listening to Eric Billstead's newscast, he was talking about what what they are saying in Madison. Of course, Madison has been one of the the protest hotbeds across the country. And in Madison, unlike Milwaukee, and I understand we had some violence in Milwaukee, but in Milwaukee, we have, at least in my opinion, largely kept the pro the protests have been peaceful and the police have largely kept things under control you've had some examples of, of vandalism and people throwing stuff at the cops but in general I, I think everybody has behaved responsibly madison has been just out of control for days and days in the first couple of days of the protest you essentially with the blessing of the mayor the the police just kind of retreated and, and let people run run the streets the the first two nights Seventy-five businesses were vandalized in Madison. Eighteen officers, according to the police, were injured, many of which they were injured by they were hit in the head by things that were being thrown at them. Seventy-five businesses vandalized. This is just in the first two days. I, I pulled up the numbers just a minute ago, and I, I have the numbers as of, I think, last Friday. So I, I, I don't know what happened this weekend, but as of last Friday, and this is in, in the heat of you've got businesses that are being vandalized and looted. You've got officers that are injured in Madison. In the wake of that, they made 38 arrests total, 38 total as of June 5th, 18 officers injured, 75 businesses vandalized, 38 arrests total. And you know what? 26 of the 38 arrests were for curfew violations. I mean, it's it's like, okay, why even bother defunding the police? Because apparently in Madison, we're, we're not allowing the police to do anything anyways. We are turning the streets over to, uh, again, the, the groups that have decided they want to be able to do whatever they can do. All right, now, here here are the numbers that I want to use to start this discussion with. And I, I, I guess it's partly stunning because we have this conversation going on about, you know, defunding the police. And wouldn't it be nice if we had a world without police? And 
there's there's people in Milwaukee that if not defunding the police, they want to have the budget substantially cut. They want to say let's let's take seventy five million dollars out of a three hundred million dollar police budget and let's spend it on like touchy feely things. Won't that won't that be good? All right, Chicago, May thirty first. So this would have been a week ago Sunday had its deadliest day in 60 years. And and it might have been the deadliest day ever because they only started keeping track of this particular data that I'm going to give you. They only started keeping track of it in 1961. So it's possible it could have been even worse. It could have been the worst day in history. But here's the deal. One day in a 24-hour period in Chicago, a week ago Sunday, you had 18 murders, 18 murders in 24 hours, 18 murders in 24 hours um, for that weekend, stretching from 7 p.m. on that Friday to 11 p.m. Sunday. You had 24 murders over you know, a, a three-day period. 85 people wounded by gunfire. And as we always say, or at least I always say on the program, if you look at the homicide rate and you're trying to measure violence, homicides are, are not necessarily the best indicator because a homicide is bad. But anytime you have a shooting, I mean, anytime somebody gets shot, that, that could easily turn into a homicide. And many times for people who survive being shot, it, it's just it's just dumb luck or an act of God or whatever you want to call it or, or a tribute to emergency medicine because you get shot. And like I say, maybe you're shot in the shoulder or, you know, that it's it's six inches over and it hits a ventricle and, and you die. OK, so th- that's it. You, you have, again, 24 murders. You have 85 shootings. Get this Sunday, May 31st alone, Sunday, May 31st alone, the 911 line in Chicago received 65,000 calls. 65,000 people calling 911. Now, that's a wide variety of reasons why you might call 911, but it's 65,000 calls for people who obviously felt the need for government protection of some form, and a lot of those are going to be police calls. Okay, now I bring this up because the city council president in, in Minneapolis, Lisa Bender, goes on CNN yesterday and and starts defending the notion of uh, let's let's defund the police because keep in mind Minneapolis has made a commitment they say they've got a veto proof majority on their city council to get rid of the the police department and on CNN one of the one of the the hosts says okay um, do you understand that the word dismantle or police free makes some people nervous? For instance, what if in the middle of the night my home is broken into? Who do I call? And her response is, well, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, I hear that loud and clear from a lot of my neighbors and, you know, but, uh, but I know myself too, I know that comes from a place of privilege, right? It comes from a place of privilege. So my home is broken into in the middle of the night. When I call 911, that, that's a, a place of, of privilege. In other words, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe I should be more understanding of why the person has broken into my home and, and wants to steal my stuff. 
she goes on and says, um, when the host then goes on to say, when you, you know, when you talk about being police free, you understand that that kind of sounds like a utopian concept where nobody's committing any crime because as long as these communities are being preyed upon, both within and without, there's going to be, you know, people who are going to need to keep other people safe. And she says, well, I think the idea of having a police-free future is very aspirational, and I am willing to stand with community members who are asking us to think of that as a goal. Okay, so on the one hand, we have this aspirational idea that we want to, I I don't know, um, stop having people call the police because when somebody's breaking into your house, and you, you decide you, you want to depend on the system, that's aspirational. On the other hand, you know, down in Chicago, you've got 65,000 calls to 911 on one day alone. You have 18 people murdered a week ago Sunday. You have 18 people murdered over the whole weekend, 85 people shot. All right. I appreciate this aspirational concept. Oh, wouldn't it be nice if we just all got along and we didn't need police to come out and we were able to just open up the jails and let everybody free because nobody was committing any crimes. I appreciate the aspirational aspect of that. At the same time, I have a a two-word, and one of the words is a contraction. I have a two-word response to this. It's nuts. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This idea that if you call 911, if you call the police because you are being victimized, that I don't know, that that comes from a place of privilege. What the heck is that all about? Matter of fact, if you want to look at where the high crime rates are, it is arguably in the areas where the people have less privilege than anything else. They're being victimized in their own communities. And again, it doesn't matter what the makeup of the community is and what the racial background of the community is. You know, you, you look at some of the poorer communities, and that tends to have a higher incidence of crime. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I don't think this idea of doing away with the police departments are aspirational at all. I think it's nuts. We discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. One of the things that drives me crazy about this, well, if you call the cops, it's coming from a position of privilege, is... I, you know, my, my guess is, and look, I, I don't have the, the breakdown of where the uh, 24 people who were murdered a, a, a week ago in, in Chicago over a three-day period lived. But my guess is they lived in the more the majority of people lived in the more economically depressed areas. My guess is of the 65,000 calls that were made to 911, most came from some of the less privileged areas. Now, if you want to talk about, gee, how do we get more jobs into certain communities? I, I'm I'm fine to have that discussion but this idea that well people who people who um you know we we have to aspire to have a police free society and you know people who call the police they do it from a sense of privilege give me a break let's start with jen in west bend good afternoon you're on wtmj good afternoon jeff um privilege i I just shake my head when i was hearing all this the last couple of days i think it's more of a privilege that these um elected officials be them council members mayors uh governors anyone 
uh, is expecting these uh, police officers and, and uh, Secret Service people to put their lives on the lines for these people. And now they're calling for them to be disbanded or dismantled or defunded. Um, I think any elected official, be them the lowest of the low to the highest of the high, anyone that is uh, advocating for this and, and pushing this narrative needs to immediately give up any type of protection that they're getting. Let them live how the other, how all of the rest of us are. Well, well, right. And what is, I mean, what is the solution? What, what is the answer? All right. You've got 65, we'll just use the Chicago example, 65,000 911 calls in, in one day. And even if we say, even if we say 50% were, were calls that didn't need to be made to 911, that still leaves 30 plus thousand people who, who on one day who needed the response of police or fire. What, what are we going to do to say, sorry, we, we don't have cops to send you out. Just, just deal, that guy that's breaking into your garage, deal with it. You know, that, that guy that's beating up your, your sister, just, just deal with it. Jeff, I grew up in Chicago. I can no longer go in my old neighborhood because it has gotten so run down. And it's a scary thing, scary place to go after dark. Right. Um, I think it, the, the social workers, I think everybody just needs to police their own. I need, I believe that they, the, the, Programs are there to help in the communities. The people just have to right. use them. Right. No, thanks for the call, Jen. No, no, I, I get it. And, and by the way, I, I want to be clearly understood here because when, whenever you go down this route, you got to tread carefully. But I, I, I have look, I. I am as appalled as anybody about what happened in Minneapolis two weeks ago Monday. It, it was just, it is inexcusable. Um, certainly the, the police officers needed to be fired and criminal charges have been brought. So, I mean, it, it's appalling. Nobody of good conscience can stand up and, and defend that. And I understand the outrage that, that has, has come as a result of that and the video and all those things. But at the same time, you know, wouldn't it be interesting to know where, where is collectively the outrage at, at 18 people dying on the streets of Chicago in, in one day? And wouldn't it be nice to see maybe some, some marches, again, directing it at, I understand you, if people want to march and want to complain about police brutality, go with God. That, that's fine. But, you know, how, wouldn't it also be interesting to see, let, let's, Let's protest uh, about also about the, the senseless loss of life, 85 shootings over a three-day period in, in Chicago, and, and maybe some outrage against the people who are engaging in, in, in those shootings and, and that criminal behavior and the, the, the people that are doing whatever they're doing that required 65,000 people to make 911 calls over a one-day period. Let's talk to Peter in Glendale. Peter, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Charlie. My I, my thought, I, I can't say much more than last caller. I think the last two callers basically said it all. But, you know, the uh, the lady in, I can't remember, I guess she's on the city council in Minneapolis. The president of the city uh, council in I, Minneapolis. Yeah. My, my thought is she, if her house got broken into, she'd probably be one of the people screaming the loudest. Well, you right. Yeah. I mean, no, no. Thanks to call. No, you you would you would imagine, and, and and so maybe it's that perspective of of privilege. I mean, it's like okay, well, you're you're privileged to I don't know, maybe to to own things that you know stuff that belongs to you, and and maybe we we shouldn't be upset if if other people are deciding to come in and take the stuff that that belongs to you. I mean, it's just it's just. It's nuts. 
I go back to the way I started this. I, and there's no other way to kind of describe this. And, you know, out, out in Madison, you know, they're, they're painting defund the police on the, on the road right in front of the city county building. You've got, you know, one of the groups that's pushing this, this Freedom Inc. that's gotten over a million dollars in taxpayer money funneled to them through the Evers administration. And, and, and they're talking about this utopian idea. Do I, would, would it be a wonderful world? If you didn't need the police, a- absolutely. Would it be a wonderful world if the only time you had to call 911 was because your cat went up in a tree and you want the fire department to come out and get it? Well, okay, that, that's great, and, and we can we can all work for that. But in the meantime, you know, we, we got to recognize that it's law enforcement, and law enforcement has flaws. You can always, you, you, you can do better, and there's things that, you know, we need to do better. But this idea that we're going to make the society better, and that we're going to make the streets safer, and we're going to make crime-plagued areas better, um, the, the lifestyle for people who are living in certain areas that are currently plagued by crime, that we're going to make it better for those people if if you don't have as many police. Oh, my goodness gracious, what are people smoking? Danielle in Greenfield. Danielle, you're on WTMJ. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Hi. Um, I hear defund the police, and in my brain what it says is abandon all law-abiding citizens. Yeah. So well, we've, yeah. we've heard a, we've heard a lot about people saying, well, if Black Lives Matter, we would talk about black on black crime, but that's not the issue. That's what everybody always says. But if abandoning everyone who lives in the lower income cities, who does is able to scrape up a little bit of their own, a small house or an apartment, maybe a nicer school for their kids in the area through the charter program. All these people are law-abiding citizens, and if we get rid of the police, we're leaving them. We're abandoning them yeah. completely. Well, well, no, I mean, exactly. I mean, thanks to call. I, I was talking about yesterday, and again, it, to, to me, I, I try to... I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I try not to view this on racial lines when it comes to protection of order, because I don't, I don't care where you live, and I don't care what your economic status is. I, I think you, and I certainly don't care what your race is. You deserve the, uh, you deserve the protections that society has to offer. And I don't want to see society devolve into a escape from New York thing, where you essentially just say, okay, we're going to, we're going to allow certain areas. To just be overrun with, with crime to the point that, that nobody wants to live in those places. I mean, I, I just, that is not an acceptable thing. You need to have vigorous law enforcement. Now, does that mean that, you know, everything law enforcement does is fine? No, it doesn't. But you need to have law and order. And we need to be outraged again at the death of, of the man in Minneapolis two weeks ago. But shouldn't we also be outraged at, at the vandalism and the destruction of businesses? And shouldn't we also be outraged at, at at the the deaths and the shootings that regularly go on on a daily basis in in high crime areas across the country. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
As states around the country begin to reopen and Wisconsin gets back to business, what will our workplaces look like and how soon until you should feel comfortable going on that special trip? Please, please, please join John McCure this Thursday at 4 for WTMJ Cares, a special roundtable discussion about workplaces in the travel industry in the age of a pandemic. If you have a question you'd like answered during the town hall, there's a number that we've set up to let you ask your questions in advance. The number is 414-203-8105. You can leave us a message with your question. WTMJ Cares is powered by Watry Industries and Premier Aluminum. It's sponsored by Freighter to the Medical College of Wisconsin, Town Bank, and Griffin Automotive Group. Okay. Um, there are there are films that are part of of our culture. There are books that are part of our culture. And sometimes the, the culture changes and we end up viewing the books through the, the prism of our current time. So, for example, you, you, you have, remember you have the huge discussion, To Kill a Mockingbird, which is regularly taught, has been taught since the, the book came out. It's been taught in, you know, high school English classes, and I think you can make a strong argument that To Kill a Mockingbird is the great American novel. Well, To Kill a Mockingbird has become controversial over the last several years because of its of its portrayal of a small southern town beset by racism and its use of of language which was used in probably a similar small southern town at that particular time, but now it's like okay, we don't put those, those words in. So you, you have that. You have huge controversies involving a lot of stuff written by, by Mark Twain, um, whether it's Tom Sawyer or Huckleberry Finn, for example. You know, these books portray a, a view of, you know, Missouri or wherever it's set in, in the early 1900s, and you view some of the stuff which was accepted or th- this common viewpoint um, in 1900, but now you, you look at it in 2020 and you go, boy, that, that's racist. You would never write something like that. And so we, we have to, we, we, we can't talk about Tom Sawyer. We can't talk about Huckleberry Finn. There, there's an interesting opinion piece in the LA Times that talks about something else that my guess is you have probably seen. And it is the movie Gone with the Wind. Now, Gone with the Wind is generally viewed as one of the greatest movies of all time. It, it's certainly from a financial perspective. If you would, would look at all the money Gone with the Wind has made over the years, it, it certainly views it's viewed as one of the most. And, and then you, you know, just the, adjust for inflation and things. It's certainly one of the most profitable movies of all time. Gone with the Wind was, of course, based on a a very very successful book. If you've ever read Gone with the Wind, it's it's a struggle. Big big long book turned into a big long blockbuster movie. And my guess is you have probably seen that. I know that there are people who love the movie Gone with the Wind and, and watch it whenever it's on. Vivian Lee gives a great performance. Clark Gable gives a great performance. But Gone with the Wind is not a woke movie. Gone with the Wind, of course, is set in the time pre-Civil War and then during the Civil War. It, it follows Scarlett O'Hara and her family, you know, through the through the Civil War. It has a very sympathetic view of the South. I mean, there's just no question about it. It's it's written and it is produced. And the the show, you know, shows 
you know, this wonderful way of life. It clearly depicts slavery in a watered-down fashion without giving the horrors of, of slavery. It, it portrays a number of the people who are who were slaves as, as happy and you know not not wanting to leave, etc. It, it's it's clearly a, a book and a movie which looks at the South through rose-colored glasses, and that is probably an understatement. At the same time, it's it's a huge part of American culture. I bring this up because I have in my hands a, a p- opinion piece in the um, L.A. Times. Uh, Warner Cable, Warner Media, has just launched this, this HBO Max, which is the new streaming service. We've talked about this before, that, that they have to compete with Netflix and Hulu and things of, of the like. Uh one of one of the movies that is available on the HBO Max platform is Gone with the Wind. Let me share with you a portion of what appears in today's L.A. Times. Congratulations to Warner Media on the launch of HBO Max. As an HBO subscriber, I'm excited about the breadth of programming and films offered on the platform. While I'm sure the streaming service will continue to improve with time, I have one request. Please remove Gone with the Wind from your rotation of films. Um, as a filmmaker, I get that movies are often snapshots of moments in in history. Um, it continues. They reflect not only the attitudes and opinions of those involved in their creation, but also those of the prevailing culture. As such, even the most well-intentioned films can fall short in how they represent marginalized communities. Gone with the Wind, however, is its own unique problem. It doesn't just fall short with regard to representation. It is a film that glorifies the antebellum South. It is a film that, when not ignoring the horrors of slavery, pauses only to perpetuate some of the most painful stereotypes of people of color. It is a film that, as part of the narrative of the lost cause, romanticizes the Confederacy in a way that continues to give legitimacy to the notion that the secessionist movement was something more or better or more noble than what it was, a bloody insurrection to maintain the right to own, sell, and buy human beings. The movie had the very best talents in Hollywood at the time, working together to sentimentalize a history that never was. And it continues to give cover to those who falsely claim that clinging to the iconography of the plantation era is a matter of heritage, not hate. And then, you know, it it, it goes on. It says, I understand that this is a classic film, but we, we should not show it anymore. And people should not watch it, and people should not have the opportunity to watch it. All right, our number. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All those criticisms, by the way, I, I think are, are true of Gone with the Wind. It it sentimentalizes the the Confederacy. It clearly soft pedals the reason for the, the Civil War. It creates imagery, like I say, of the, the slaves being happy and things like that. And, and, I mean, it is clearly a fictionalized, romanticized version of, of the South. No question about it. Does that mean we should no longer watch the movie Gone with the Wind? Does that mean that younger generations should not have the opportunity to see this? Does this mean that we should take it down? And this isn't the government ordering it taken down, but this particular thing is a call for the the service to, to get rid of it. Let's stop showing these movies because this movie, despite all the awards it's won, 
might be offensive to some people. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is it time to, uh, again, take Gone with the Wind, stick it in a closet, and not let people see it anymore? My answer, no. I'll explain and we'll discuss. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so I, I know I, I'm a huge movie fan. I, I haven't sat and watched Gone with the Wind in its entirety in, in several years. But, I, I mean, I, I have certainly seen it over time. I understand the portrayal that it gives is very, very pro the 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 lost cause sort of thing i understand it, it soft pedals the whole notion of the horrors of slavery and all that i i understand that at the same time it it's it's fiction it's it's a movie it's not a real again it's it's not a documentary or anything like that and and i understand that the 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 perspective that it portrays is, is certainly not woke um, in any way, shape, or form, and it doesn't take into account the horrors of slavery, and I understand all that. But at the same time, it, it is it is just a movie, and do we now not, be, because it, it doesn't represent values that we have in 2020, does that mean that people shouldn't be able to watch it? 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I guess my question is, if you take out Gone with the Wind, wh- what do you do next? I mean, it, are we really at that point where we decide that we want to we we want to sanitize we want to remove stuff which look at the time the thing with gone with the wind is it offers a perspective it offers a perspective that i think most of us disagree with and realize it's superficial but doesn't that offer a, a teachable moment do we really gain anything by by saying okay th- this is fiction we're we're not going to allow you to to show this anymore and how scary is that jeff uh, let's some text while Gru's lining up the calls people need to calm down and not stop whitewashing and erasing history you know what's next if people are offended with people smoking cigarettes are we going to remove any movie that has cigarettes in it um yeah it, it's no different them than them removing elmer fudd's shotgun it, it's getting ridiculous uh, Jeff, it's a slippery slope. Movies like, um, you know, Thief, Billy Madison, and maybe even A Christmas Story would be target, targeted for racial insensitivity. You know, that's a real interesting point. A Christmas Story. Remember the scene in Christmas Story at the very end where they, they go to the, the Chinese restaurant? It is a very, very stereotypical portrayal um you know and 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 obviously it's it's an exaggerated type of of situation well should we okay should should we not allow that to to go into into do we need to remove it and of course my argument with all this is we're we're just better off to view these things these movies as time capsules representations of of thinking of at a certain point in time like when the movie was made and it's an opportunity to discuss things you know gee why why did you have what was the purpose of atlanta being sacked why why was that you know were people in the south victims or was was this the a goal of trying to end the war and and how they did it um jeff are people so easily influenced that an old fictional book or movie with outdated sympathy without 
calculated thinking will cause viewers to sympathize. I would hope that people aren't that fragile. Well, yeah. Uh, here's a text. Jeff, I want all Spike Lee, uh, Lee movies removed because I think many glorify, you know, gang life. Well, I, again, it's it's a slippery slope that you go down. I mean, I think, I, I mean, I'm a big fan of, of a lot of the stuff that Spike Lee ha- has done. I, I think he's a great movie maker. I, I think a number of his movies are provocative. They are thought Provo- uh, that would be provocative. They are thought-provoking. I think that they're they're well done. They are reflective of his particular point of view. And I would never, never, ever argue that you know Spike Lee's movie should be taken off certain platforms because you know we we can't process these things. That Gone with the Wind. Okay, I, I understand why some people might be offended when you watch it. My response then would be, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Or or, you know, when you watch it, maybe that'll, you know, motivate you to ask some questions about, gee, were these people really that that happy? What's going on? Understand the Civil War. Understand what it was about. Understand the horrors of slavery. Recognize that it wasn't all, you know, uh, beer and Skittles like they portray in the first two thirds of, of the movie. But also recognize it's just a movie. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. You know, there's another story that's been out there for a couple days that sort of underscores this idea that there there are some brands or there's some things that you, you thought would always be there, and, and then they, they just kind of disappear. If you grew up like I did, you know, in, in Milwaukee decades ago, you, you can remember, you know, it always used to be, well, you, you had you had the Schlitz Brewery, and you had the Paps Brewery, and you had, and you had Miller, and that's, Milwaukee was a beer town, and, and now, yeah, Miller's, lap, Miller's still there, the other two really aren't in the form that they they were back in in the heyday and you had all these big you know you had Alice Chalmers and you had American Motors you had all these different companies and you you think that they're going to be there forever and then all of a sudden they they're they're not Alan Bradley another example gets taken over by Rockwell and now there's not a lot of production going on there one of the the other industries that was kind of synonymous one of the businesses that was synonymous with Milwaukee at a point one point in time was Evan Rood motors and they make they made the outdoor motors and you know evan rude which at the time were the company was like outboard marine and they competed with mercury marine up in fond du lac but but those were the the two big dogs in the 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 motors that you put on um for on on the boats and what ended up happening is at one point in time evan rude employed thousands of people in the Milwaukee area, just thousands of people. Then they hit hard times. They went through bankruptcy. They they came out of bankruptcy and were acquired by a a Canadian company. But they still, you know, manufactured Evanboard Outboard, Evan Root Outboard Motors and employed about 400 people down in in Sturdivant. Well, you know, they've just announced, the Canadian company that bought them have just announced they're getting out of the, the Outboard Motor business. And they're they're going to, I guess, continue to make the Evinrood brand, but they're going to, to make them, you know, but but they're going to allow Mercury, they're going to sell it off to like Mercury Marine or something like that to, to do it. But so now they'll, they'll be making, you know, Mercury will be making the Evinrood motors. But uh, essentially the, the people who, you know, worked for years and years, uh, just, just out of luck. And I mean, there's lots of reasons why Evinrood struggled. I think the biggest reason is they, they always made two-stage motors, which is the ones where you have to mix the oil with the gas. And, and that's people who who love it love it. 
but most people they don't want to mix oil with gas. You know, they just they just they they they, they just want to have that that four stroke motor. Um, and and Evan Rue just never did that, and I think it ended up falling out of favor. But whatever the reasons are, I mean, this was at one point in time a huge Milwaukee company, later based in Sturdivant, that made this product that was known throughout the world, and now um, the company is essentially getting out of the business. Just shows that nothing is forever. Back with lots more in just a couple of minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. All right, my question is, irresponsible or very cool? So, Eric Bilstadt, let me, I'm, I'm going to give you the first shot at our number, 855-616-1620. I'm going to tell the story, and the question is, irresponsible or, or very cool? Now, are, are you familiar with this this guy named Forrest Fenn? Have you ever heard of him? Mm-mm. Okay, Forrest Fenn. Maybe, maybe you you follow the story. Forrest Fenn is he's from New Mexico and he's an art and antique dealer. And about ten years ago, he wrote his autobiography. And in the autobiography, he he said that he had he had planted. He had a, a treasure chest with $2 million in jewels and stuff, and he put it somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. And he wrote this 24-line poem that gives people clues as to where this this treasure chest is. Now, you're looking at me with a smile. I understand it sounds silly. My best friend went out to, you know, and so everybody has been, like, looking okay. at maps and trying to analyze. Yeah. My, my best friend, a couple of years ago, he and his son went to New Mexico, and he thought he had clue, you know, and he interpreted clues in a certain way. And they spent a week traipsing through the middle of nowhere in New Mexico looking for th- this treasure they chest. They didn't find him? They did not. No, they, they did not find it. But... Thousands of people have have done this over the the last 10 years. Um, What's happened is a number of people have died looking for this treasure chest because it's it, it's again it, it's in it's in the wilds and it, you know and, and so there was um let's see somebody who disappeared in yellowstone national park two others including a pastor who lived in colorado died because you you're, you're in the middle of the wilderness you know people in sit down with maps and they interpret sure, these clues sure, sure. and they go out and i think one guy fell through ice or something oh. like that but you're in the middle of, of nowhere looking for this um you have Hundreds of people who quit their jobs, honest to God, quit their jobs, like sold their stuff, and then have been like on this treasure hunt looking for th- this this two million dollar treasure. Chest. Now that may be irresponsible, but go ahead. All right. So, but but people have died looking yeah, for this because yeah. you're in the in the middle of nowhere. In 2017, the New Mexico State Police asked the guy to call off the hunt because they said this is a safety hazard. You have all these people. We're also getting 911 calls. People get out in the wilderness, and they've got these weird theories. And, and it's not just in New Mexico. It could be Colorado. It could be Wyoming. It's, they were talking about the planet in the Rocky Mountains. And so people have been asking him to call this off, and, and he never would. Now, the reason I bring this up is because over the weekend, he announced that somebody had found the treasure. Now, he, he won't disclose, and the, the other thing that's been the undercurrent of this is there's been skeptics like me. Who, <laughs> who, who, <laughs> well, there's been skeptics like me. My, my, my buddy is taught, you know, he's going on this trip. And, I mean, look, it's great if you want to go, you know, into, new, into, into New Mexico and go hiking and stuff like of that. Course, that, that of course. That's fine. There's a value to that. But I'm like, huh, I wonder if this is really true. You know, it, you know, it's just, or is this just some made up 
thing. Uh, right, that, right. That's, that's never, well, anyhow, over the weekend, Fenn announced that somebody had found the treasure. And he, he wouldn't say who it was other than it was somebody from, like, back east. But he said somebody had found the, the treasure and it sent him a picture. So the, the hunt is, is now over. And he talked about how, like I said, it's got, like, $2 million worth of jewels, supposedly. Uh, but he won't release the name of the person who did it. There's already a bunch of lawsuits that have been filed like by people who have quit their job, including this woman who's a lawyer in Chicago. She quit her job, you know, sold her stuff. And, you know, she, the, the, the allegation is like fraud or something like that, that the, the clues that he put in were intended to mislead somebody. You're just looking at me. Well, you, you know, can't file a lawsuit over that. You can sue. Uh, trust me. You can we're sue anybody for right. anything. <laughs> <laughs> you know, You're right. I'm sorry. Whether, good point. Whether, whether you can collect or not is a whole different story. <laughs> but no, I, I'm, no, here, here, here. See, I've got it right here. I believe it, I guess. Uh, Chicago treasure hunter was on the trail of a hidden chest worth more than a million dollars. She said uh, she was hacked and her solution was stolen you know, oh, no, they're, okay. they're, they're filing no they're all fi- they're filing all these lawsuits and stuff but he, he now says that the, the hunt is over and w- w- okay so let let us assume that there really was a treasure chest with like gold and jewelry and stuff like then you got to show a picture you have right. to even if you don't release the name we have to see the chest you you would you would think that um you know and, and he says he you know he he says he, he put it there he says he did it because he wanted to in he loves the outdoors and he wanted to encourage people to immerse themselves in the wilderness and engage in an old-fashioned adventure that that was that that was his justification. And of course, like I say, people have died. There's at least I, I want to say at least a half dozen people that have died looking for this thing. Um, and and like I say, my my, my friend and his kid. They and, and he he was actually my my buddy had had a different theory. You know, he, and then you know when they didn't find it where he thought it was, they had you read this 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 poem, this twenty four line poem, and sure. everybody has these different sort of clues to that and all. So all right, so the the, the question is, let us assume you're just shaking your head. No, go oh, ahead. Okay, no, no, no. I I, I want to have this discussion. Okay. The the let us assume that it wasn't just a huge hoax. Let us assume that there really was a chest that this guy put somewhere in the Rocky Mountains that was filled with all these, you know, with gold and all this, these rare jewelries, Julian stuff. You know, you have had people for the last 10 years who have been searching for for this. All right, so my question is, um, now that this has been found, if somebody were to do this again, is that irresponsible or is it just a really cool thing to do to inspire people to go on this treasure hunt? Um, I would say that it's cool to do because each of us have to be responsible for our own actions. So if I decide to quit my job and bring my kid and bring harm to myself and my child, that's what? on me. Wandering through the Rocky yes. Mountains looking for a, a that's chest on that me. might that's be not there. on that guy. So if he decided to to stash another chest with a million dollars in jewelry, you would think, okay, that, that that's cool. And if people want to go look for it, let them go sure. with that. But I want to see, I, there has to, I, I would like to see it. So, so you're, you're a little that, bit skeptical. Well, like yes, it would be nice to just at least say like, "Hey, here's the specs. Here's what it meant. Here's what the poem was. You know, like it, that would be kind of neat to hear the end of the story of what the right, as how this person found it, what they interpreted from the poem. Here's right, a picture, right? As opposed to right, as, as opposed to nothing, just this. Yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting because the way I first saw the story is my my friend who knew I had been kind of skeptical about yeah. this and had not gone on the various treasure hunts or anything like that, despite <laughs> being asked, um, had he, he sent me this note saying, "Look." 
that a treasure has been found. And I was expecting, to your point, to see pictures and here's the guy standing sure. next to yeah, the yeah, treasure yeah. chest. Of course, that raises all sorts of tax issues and things like that. <laughs> yeah, good, point. So, That's so, good point. But, but, it, but, <laughs> but still, you know, but exactly to your point. So I, I guess I do remain a little bit skeptical as to because right now it's just him saying the treasure chest has been found. Sure. We we don't know who that that person is, and I don't think he has any intention of saying who found it. You know what it reminds me of? Have you ever gone geocaching? You know what that is? It's, it's when you know you have GPS coordinates of where something is, and then you go find it, and it's usually hidden. And they're everywhere. Geocaches are like you, you wouldn't even right. realize that you're walking past them on the sidewalk sometimes. So I used to do that with my kids quite a bit when they're a little bit younger, and always every time the excitement and the imagination of it was you know, off the charts for the kids. But once we would find it, there'd be a little bit of disappointment there when they'd see it's just a tiny little plastic box with like a paper and a crayon inside it. You know, there wasn't always like right. some amazing treasure. Right, there anything. wasn't a million dollars in gold and jewelry. <laughs> right. nothing quite like that. But similar in some ways to this. Yeah, okay, except you're also not like going to fall through like a little stream in the middle of nowhere of in Yellowstone intense, Park. But yeah, yes. yeah. All right, I am curious. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I just, th- this has been something, and my guess is maybe you've heard this story because this has been a big deal i i again because my friend was was immersed in this and was reading the poems and was kind of like studying the clues and stuff i perhaps know more about it than other people even though i I never got into the 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 whole thing and again i still remain somewhat skeptical that this actually happened but all right does this sound like it's something that's cool and if somebody else did this would you be inclined to to go off on this chest on on this kind of treasure hunt, or alternatively, is this an irresponsible thing to do because you understand that some people are going to make bad choices and some people are going to get their own sort of clues and they're going to be in the middle of nowhere and they're going to try to ford some river and like happened here. People are going to drown and die. 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, really, really cool. Or just in complete, completely irresponsible. Vote both for the people who treasure hunt and the guy that says he planted the treasure chest. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Okay, is this really cool, or was it just an irresponsible thing? Irresponsible for the guy to bury or or put a a treasure chest um, kind of in the middle of nowhere, somewhere in the Rocky Mountains that were going to inspire people to look for it, and some people lost their lives while looking for it. Was that irresponsible? Um, Let's start with Danny in West Dallas. Hi, Danny. You're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. How you doing? Real well, thank you. Okay, irresponsible or pretty cool? Or both, I guess. Um, well, I think it's... The idea of it's kind of cool because, you know, it brings back memories of Raiders of the Lost Ark. But the only problem is it's irresponsible at the same time for the same reason. There's so many people that they read something like that and they think, oh, there we go. And they think they're an amateur Indiana Jones. Yeah. And they don't do the research. So, like, say... You got that person from Chicago that sold all their belongings and goes out there, okay, like an idiot, they'd probably go out there with just a pickaxe and a shovel, and they're not prepared for the weather changes and so on that that environment has. Not to mention, what if all of a sudden they find a clue and, okay, now they have to go spelunking into a cave to to try to find where the treasure is. The one thing that, that people that hunt sort of things like that seem to forget 
Indiana Jones didn't find everything he looked for. Well, and, and also, in- you know, Danny, thanks for calling. And also, Indiana Jones was a movie. <laughs> okay, it's 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 a movie. You know, it, it's one of those things. It, you know, I, I guess I, I've always, and I, as you could tell, I, I remain sort of skeptical about this whole thing. And and I do, I actually agree with Eric Billstadt that I'm I, I'm not saying that this wasn't a hoax. But just the guy saying, okay, I, I buried this treasure, now somebody's found it, we're not going to share any information about this, doesn't necessarily convince me that there really was a treasure chest with a million dollars and stuff in it. I also do think that, quite honestly, and I, I said this to my buddy, that after these people started dying, you know, looking for it, because everybody... Everybody has these ideas and interpretations of what this poem means, and they're in these really, really remote places. And you know, the the, the New Mexico police were saying, "Hey, we're 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 sick of finding bodies, and we're also we're we're tired of having to go out and and bail out people who have these kind of theories and get over their head and get in the middle of nowhere. And and maybe it's just time to call this thing off. Let's talk to Gianni in Montello. Gianni, you're on WTMJ. Oh, hey, Jeff. Interesting Hi. topic. Yeah. No, um, it's it's pure entertainment, Jeff. And we're a nation of entertainment. We want to be um, entertained. We want to go on adventures. This is no different than, uh, you know, climbing Everest or K2 or, um, you know, wherever you want to climb or wherever you want to hike um, for adventure, rock climbing. Uh, sailing around the world. Um, it, there's, there's danger, inherent danger in everything that we do. This is pure entertainment and, uh, Americans love it. So why not? I have oh, no problem. People oh, die all the time. In, okay. In okay. So let me ask you this. All right. Now that the guy says <clears throat> the treasure has been found. So this is, this has been going on for 10 years. You've had people who've spent their leisure time looking for it. In some cases, going to extremes. Now that it's been found, do you think he has an obligation <clears throat> to identify to, to show pictures Absolutely, of this and yeah. identify where Absolutely. it was. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, you know, I mean, we're, we, you know, if I were at liberty to hunt for a treasure, um, I would like to know who found it. And if I found it, I, you know, I mean, it, it has to be legitimate. Right. It has to be above board. So, um, yes, absolutely. Got it. Okay. Um, no, I'm, I'm know, with you. No, thanks for calling you. I, I see. I'm, I'm actually with you. I, I and I, I agree I, th- with that. I, I think. And again, I, I admit I'm a bit of a skeptic on this, but there's all sorts of people. And I guess you can always say, OK, let let the buyer beware. And if you decide that you're going to take, you know, a two week vacation and, and go, you know, traipse through, you know, the, the Rocky Mountains somewhere, you know, searching for the, this treasure chest. OK, that's a decision that, that you make. At the same time, I, I do think that if a person says, hey, I, I he never said he buried it. He said it was like under a, like a canopy of trees or something like that. It wasn't in a cave or anything like that. It was under a canopy of trees or something. Um, it, you know, if, if you say, all right, I, I have put this treasure chest that has over a million dollars in rare jewelry and gold and things like that out there, and you motivate people to go look at it, and some of the people lose their lives, yeah, you're, you're darn right. I mean, it, I think you have an obligation to demonstrate that you are not a complete and total fraud. And and now that somebody has found it, I think you have every obligation. Now, I don't know if you have to name the guy that found it, although I think that would would help. And if that means the guy's got to pay taxes on it, well, the guy's got to pay taxes on it. I'm not sorry about that. But you have to, and I think then say, okay, this is where it was. This is what it looked like. This was when it was found. And and yeah, this is who found it. I, I think that that's, if, if 
you want to demonstrate that this is not just a hoax on the general public, now you have an obligation to come forward and do it. As for the people who decided that they want to do this for fun, that, that's great. For the people who decided, hey, I, I want to, again, go on a treasure hunt and things like that, maybe you'd be better off, I don't know, going to Australia and you know sitting there with a metal detector looking for gold. Just saying. Back with more in just a minute. In any event, if you were planning this summer to take a trip to the Rocky Mountains to search for the missing treasure of Forrest Fenn, well, he says somebody found it. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This is Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Okay, I've got some good news here. Um... For the first time since the middle of May, Wisconsin reporting no coronavirus deaths. Uh, 203 new cases of coronavirus on Monday, the lowest total the state has seen in a week. No new deaths. A first since May 17th. Um, so that that's both very good news. And, and I do throw this out there because it, it's something that you, you want to think about moving forward. Over the course of the last couple weeks, we have seen a complete rejection of, of social distancing. And, and I'm not talking about the Supreme Court, you know, allowing businesses to reopen and striking down safer at home. I'm talking about, you know, the, the ongoing protests, which are now well into their second week, where very few people are practicing social distancing and some people are wearing masks, others aren't. But at least at this point in time, you are not seeing a huge spike in the number of COVID-19 cases, which, by the way, is very good. Don't get me wrong. It's very good. But the issue becomes, okay, if if these large gatherings aren't creating a huge spike in the numbers, might that mean that some of these restrictions we have in place on mass gatherings, is it, is it time to, to break them down? I mean, if you can have thousands of people walking through the streets of Milwaukee and there's not a huge spike, Right? Maybe is it time to allow thousands of people to go to Miller Park or to Pfizer Forum? I, I just, I throw that out there. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One of the things that we are learning about COVID-19 and the coronavirus pandemic is that there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. And some of the assumptions that we made in good faith a couple months ago might not have been necessary. Um, for e- example, you know, I, I think we, we've all been told about social distancing, and, and that that's good. I think that's something that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. We've all been told about the need for personal hygiene and, and, and washing and things like that, you know, keeping your keeping your hands as clean as possible. And that's something that I think is going to continue as well. But some of the things that we did early on in, in the battle against the pandemic, the idea that we we're going to shut down society, I, I think, you know, we're going to have to go back and take a really hard look as to whether was that the right step? Was it necessary? Was it Given the the economic uh, just catastrophe that that we cause with people losing their jobs, and I understand whenever I talk about that, I get an email from somebody saying, well, lives are more important than the economy. And my answer is, lives are important, the economy is important. They're just, you, you can't, you, you, you can't divorce the two. And yes, in Wisconsin, you know, 600 plus people have lost their life from COVID-19, and that that's awful. 
in general, we know now who those people that have the worst outcomes are, and it's people who are in certain risk groups, and it's people who are older. Most people who uh, most people aren't going to get COVID nineteen. That's just the reality. And if you do get it, most people are able to recover. So moving forward, we got to figure out, you know, process the stuff. And just because we did something in good faith in March doesn't mean that it was necessarily the right thing to do, or that that it had to be done. And I understand there's a huge controversy about masks. And, and now, uh, you know, now the CDC says wear masks. At the beginning of this, the World Health Organization said, don't, don't wear masks. There's no need to wear masks because we believe that wearing masks, this was at the beginning, wearing masks doesn't do anything to significantly prevent the transfer of COVID-19. And that was their advice. Well, they got a lot of heat because I think there's a lot of people who, you know, want want to do something and they feel that, you know, okay, wearing masks is going to make me safer and make people around me safer. And uh, okay, so there's a lot of pressure put on and now the WHO has sort of modified its position saying, okay, go ahead and wear masks. Well, yesterday, the World Health Organization jumped in this again. But this is something that, that to me, is very, very significant moving forward. Okay, we all, if if you are sick, right, if, if you're running a fever, if you've got any of the symptoms of coronavirus, we, we I think, all understand that people should, Stay the heck away from other people. I mean, if you're running a fever and you've got the cough and you've got any of these different symptoms, you you don't belong at work, period. And my guess is a lot of the people who, for example, got infected at nursing homes or infected at the meat plants, it was somebody who was displaying the the symptoms, just didn't feel good, but came to work anyhow. And and so we, we all understand if you are displaying symptoms, you, you don't want to be at work. But in some respects, if that's the case, that, that's somewhat good news because you can identify the symptoms. You know, you can take somebody's temperature before they, they go into work. And, and oh, my gosh, you know, you're running a, a fever. You're at, you're at 101. Oh, boom, go home. You, you, you can do that. If somebody's at work and their colleague looks over and says, hey, you're coughing up a lung, all right, th- then management can go in and they can say, group, go home. You don't belong here. You're, you're sick. And it's not a question of wearing a mask or not. It's like you're sick. Go home. You know, we, we don't want to get other people sick. The big thing that we have been talking about for months, though, has been this idea of asymptomatic people. In other words, you don't have a fever. You're, you're not coughing. You don't have any of these indicators, but yet you might be a carrier. And many people, I think, called up when I was talking about, like, opening up sooner than I, the, the governor wanted to open up, saying, oh, Jeff, you don't understand. There's all these people that are walking around. They don't know they're sick. And what happens is, you know, they can go in and they can be around large groups of people and they get can get all sorts of people sick without even knowing that they're sick, and then, you know, you're kind of off to the races. Okay, all right, which I I understand that is a more compelling argument for uh, keeping everybody shut down if you say, okay, you can be a carrier even though you have no symptoms. All right, so yesterday, the World Health Organization comes out with, well, it's not really a statement, but it's one of their leading medical officials comes out and says... Well, from all the data we have, it seems to be rare that an, that an asymptomatic person actually transmits onward 
to a secondary individual. Let me translate that. They, they're saying that according to our data that we have been looking at, it's, quote, very rare that somebody who has the virus but is asymptomatic, you're, you're not coughing, you're not hacking, you don't have a fever, they find it to be very rare that somebody in that situation actually pass it on to someone else. And so, at least yesterday, the World Health Organization is saying government responses should focus on detecting and isolating infected people with symptoms and then tracking people. And one of the things that this is based on is there a lot of countries have been doing this tracking research to find, okay, for somebody who got it, who did you get it from? And they're finding it to be extremely rare that somebody got COVID-19 from somebody who wasn't showing symptoms, if you follow that. And that's that's a big deal. Because like I say, if, if that's the case, if you only have to focus on people once they start showing symptoms, well, well then you, you don't need th- this, this giant crackdown telling everybody that they have to, you know, isolate and not have contact with people. You focus on the people who are, are showing symptoms and you say, yeah, if you're, if you're showing any symptoms, you quarantine yourself. You stay the heck away from other people. But, if it, if it's only a problem once you start showing symptoms, okay, the way you deal with that is quite different. Well, after that came out, you had a lot of officials that just went, you know, bat crap crazy. Oh, how how could the World Health Organization be saying this? And and there, this is so irresponsible because now you know it'll it'll make it tougher. And so today. They, they came out with sort of a, a modification on that, saying that, well, the, 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 the data is unclear uh, about that. And, and yes, we, they said it, we said it was very rare, but um, it's not necessarily a, a policy. And, and we do know that, that people who are asymptomatic um, can transmit the virus, but, um, but at the same time, you know, it doesn't appear to be that likely, but, but you know, we're not making a policy statement. All right. In other words, they don't know. Right? Our number, 855-616-1620, that is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this is true, and again, that that's a big if, because again, we're, we're still figuring these things out, but if it's true that people who are asymptomatic really aren't passing on the virus, is that a game changer? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess my, my answer would be, yeah, it, it, it just is, because that, that makes it a whole lot easier if for the overwhelming number of cases that it's only when you're showing symptoms that you're actually going to be passing it on. Now, I, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know. But it's not me saying it. It's it's these people with the World Health Organization saying, based on what they're seeing, it's very rare that somebody who is asymptomatic got somebody else sick. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If this is, in fact, true, it would seem to me that this is a game changer in the way we proceed moving ahead. And by the way might make it a lot easier to start reopening society in a responsible way by saying, okay, once people start to show symptoms, those are the folks we're going to concentrate on. All right, is this a game changer? Does this make sense? Could 
or it, do you just think that this is complete malarkey and uh, it, it can't be that way? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Sue and McGuanago. Sue, good afternoon. Hi. Hi sir. I'm just calling because I've, I've been suspicious of that. I'm a nurse. Okay. I was suspicious of that asymptomatic carrier being able to transmit from day one. And when I did a little research on my own, as much as I could find, you know, the pe- people that are asymptomatic have a low viral load. They're not carrying much of the virus around. And folks that get sick generally have been, you know, somehow in contact with someone with a higher viral load. And right. sometimes the more virus, the sicker people are. So I, from my perspective, kind of by common sense, if I'm asymptomatic, first of all, how will they even establish that I take, you know, give, give it to someone else? How, how can you even do that? Right. But secondly, I don't have much virus to transmit to anybody. Right. And to me, I'm just saying the whole thing really didn't make much sense to me. I don't think there's any documented evidence in my own right. mind that that happens. I mean, I'm not a doctor. I don't play one on the radio. But again, to me, that that does sort of make sense as well. And it also, I mean, it also tells me moving forward that this is something mm-hmm. you got to figure out right away, because if if that is the case. That, that mm-hmm. it gets transmitted from the people who are sick. That, that's an easier deal because then we just concentrate right. on, okay, you, do you have a fever? Do you have any of these symptoms? Boom, if you do, Correct. go home or don't go out in public because right. then right. at least you can deal with it a lot more. And, and my guess is that shouldn't be, I don't know, that shouldn't be that hard to do. As we do more contract no. contact tracing, I think most people are probably going to be able to say where they were when they got sick. Right, right, and have some, some idea yeah. exactly where no. they were. Right. No. They had con- contact with. Yep. Right. No, thanks to call, Sue. I mean, again, I think this is, and again, I, I'm not playing a doctor on the radio, but I, I, I have, and I don't, by the way, I, I don't, I, I don't attribute bad motives to anybody who's done anything as we try to keep people safe over the last couple months. I, I, I don't. But I, I do think we need to be moving forward. We need to be open to the idea that just because we took an approach in March, doesn't necessarily mean that that's that's the right approach moving forward. I mean, one of the classic examples of that is is the whole thing with ventilators. I mean, the remember at the beginning of this, it was like if you listen to the president's news conferences every night, it was people were obsessed. We got to have these ventilators and ventilators and ventilators. And and as it turned out, we we never really needed more ventilators. And and now for a lot of the therapies, what they're finding is that the ventilators aren't the way to go anyhow because it, it's just that they haven't had that great results with them. There's other there's other treatments, etc. I mean, the state of Wisconsin, we talked about that the other day. They've committed just you know crazy money to buy all these ventilators that they they now they they don't need. So the question is, you know, what how do you go ahead and do you just forfeit the down payment you put down, or do you go ahead and do you, do you take the ventilators? But that that was it, ventilators were this idea we're going to have to put people in ventilators and that's how we're going to save lives well it turned out that that's that's not the preferred treatment course anymore it doesn't mean that the people who were talking about ventilators in mid-march were were ill were, were were bad people or were misinformed it was just that's what the treatment was that's what the philosophy was and the justification that we have used to shut down this country in large part was that there are asymptomatic people out there who are transmitting the disease. Because if it was simply, hey, you're sick, stay home. You've got a fever, stay home. 
that's a lot easier to identify. But the whole theory was there's people who are asymptomatic. We don't know who could be the carrier, and you could go into that workplace, and you could be showing no signs, and you could infect everybody. Okay, so that was the justification for sending people home and for doing all this. Well, now, if if that's not a valid theory, if it's, if it is true that that's a very rare situation, not to say it doesn't happen, but that it's, in the words of the official yesterday from the World Health Organization, that it is very rare that somebody who is not showing any symptoms could, in fact, pass it on to someone else who's then going to get sick. That's a big development, and that seems to me that something that we, we need to know whether it's it's true or, or not. And that maybe is where you need to be spending like, okay, what, what, what does the research on this really show? And is there any significant evidence that those asymp- uh, uh, asymptomatic carriers, the people that don't show symptoms, are really passing it on? Because if it's not true, all right, that's great. Because then we just concentrate on the people who are showing the symptoms and we try to keep those people isolated, quarantined, whatever. This could be a big breakthrough if it's true. But nobody knows anything for sure, so maybe this is something we need to figure out. And if it challenges conventional wisdom, uh, fine, fine. If this is now something, hey, you know, we hadn't thought of this or we didn't realize that this was the way this was operating, but now it's turning out to be true in the real world, that, that, that's great because I think it's going to make it easier for us to open up sooner rather than later by just concentrating on the people who show symptoms. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Are you thinking about selling your investments and getting out of the market right now? Hi, I'm Rick Edelman with four quick questions before you do. Do you have a diversified portfolio? Is your personal situation and are your long-term financial goals unchanged? Are you rebalancing your portfolio like you should? And do you have sufficient cash reserves? If you answered yes to all four questions, you don't need to change your investments. But if you didn't answer yes to all four, then call us right here at Edelman Financial Engines right now. If you're not properly positioned to weather this storm, you could be at risk. We've helped thousands of people just like you get through wild markets just like this one over the past three decades. And we can help you get through this crisis too. If you're at all uncertain, call us at 888-PLAN-RICK. That's 888-PLAN-RICK. Or visit us at rickedelman.com. That's ricedelman.com. Call us and call us right now. W277-CV and WTMJ Milwaukee. From the Annex Wealth Management Studios, this is News Radio WTMJ. Somebody texted me, said, Jeff, the the World Health Organization has has retracted that. Well, no, not really. They... World Health Organization is kind of all over the map on these things, and that they actually said, "Well, it's a misunderstanding." And uh, the 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 person who's the head of their emerging disease and zoonosis unit said that, "Yeah, that they said, yeah, a, a, asymptomatic transmission is very rare." But then now they're kind of walking it back a little, saying, "Well, I wasn't saying it's a it's a policy of of the World Health Organization or anything like that. Um, I was just answering a question." We do know that some people who are asymptomatic or some people who do not have symptoms can transmit the virus on, which I I think is true. But what they were saying is when we're looking at all these studies, we're we're not finding that that's a major source of of where people end up getting sick. And and again, I don't I don't know. I'm not trying to play a doctor on, on the radio. I'm just saying that this is something that you would you would want to 
you would want to know because moving forward, it is an extremely significant thing because, again, the justification for widespread lockdowns has been people who go out who don't have any symptoms could unknowingly be passing this on to other people. I mean, that's the whole justification for it. And by the way, I'm I'm sure it can happen. I'm sure it happens. But if it is really, in the words of this lady yesterday, very rare, okay, that, that, that informs something, and it tells me that as, as we move forward, and we all want the same things. I mean, we, we all want to make sure that people don't get sick and, and don't, especially the people who are most vulnerable about this. But at, as we as we fashion what our remedies are and we decide, okay, what's the rules on mass gathering and stuff like that, if, if it's true that it is very rare that somebody who doesn't have symptoms is actually going to get somebody else sick, okay, that, 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 I think develops and justifies a different strategy than, hey, there's somebody who who might have this who doesn't show any sort of symptoms at all, might never show any sort of symptoms, but they're the ones that have passed it on. Okay, well, that's that's more of a justification for clamping down more and more on stuff. And again, I, I don't know what the answer is, but it's also becoming more and more apparent that a lot of the, the scientists and the people who study this don't know the answers for certain Either so, uh, to me, it's one of those indicators of, you know, all right, let, let's let's figure this out, because if if that's the case, and it turns out that asymptomatic people really aren't likely to pass this on, well, it, it tells me that okay, you, you go one route, and, and maybe what we've been doing in the past isn't necessarily the best route or it's not as necessary given all the economic turmoil that it's end up causing. We, we all want the same goal. We all want to, to avoid having people get sick and we certainly want to avoid having people, particularly those most vulnerable, get sick and die. Right? The question is, how do you do it in the most efficient fashion? Worth studying. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. How badly has baseball hurt itself by its collective, and I'm talking about the teams, the players, collectively, the the inability of baseball to get its act together? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Has baseball hurt itself over the course of the last several months? And and my answer is yes. You you have the NBA that's worked it all out. The NBA is going to be resuming the regular season, eight final games, and then a playoff thing. They figured out how to play the games. It's going to be in late July. Um, in, in Orlando, and they're going to run for a couple months, and then you're going to get the season done. Hockey is coming back. Golf is coming back. For goodness sakes, you've even got Premier League soccer that starts, I think, a week from tomorrow. Meanwhile, you've got baseball, which typically occupies th- – this This is the time of year where, where baseball – normally is the the dominant sport because basketball has now kind of wrapped up the nba final should be about concluding by now so the nba final should be kind of wrapping up um the nfl doesn't start until after labor day although the training camps start opening up 
what, in, in August. Well, okay, right now, as we sit, we're, we're now closer to getting a baseball season than we were, I don't know, months ago. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Regardless of who you want to you know, assign the blame to, and this is from my perspective as a baseball fan, it's from my perspective as somebody who works at a station that has the radio rights to the Brewers game, it's somebody who is a season ticket holder. I've got a 20-game season ticket package to the Brewers who loves baseball but i will tell you baseball is it's it's a habit you know you get used to oh gosh it's you know it's tuesday evening the game starts at 6:30 or 7:15 or whatever here let, let's turn on the radio and listen to you it it's this habit and, and candidly i think a lot of us have fallen out of of that habit. I mean, it's all right. I, I was at, at dinner last night with it was my um, my wife's grandson. It's his birthday. We were over at their house. You know, we're sitting outside under normal circumstances at, at seven o'clock. We would have fired up the radio and listened to the game. But okay, we we didn't. We just we turned on music or, or whatever that was. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and we're really no closer to baseball than we were a couple weeks ago um you have you have a deal where the the owners are committed to only paying so much in salary that that's they're they're kind of they're locked in stone that they're only going to commit to paying so much in salary and that right now involves about a 50 game season the players could make a little bit more by playing more but they want a whole bunch more and the owners aren't going to give it to them and right now you know you're it, it is now july with today's july 9th I mean, there's no way you start playing baseball before the 4th of July, and, and even that's kind of problematic. All right, how badly has baseball hurt itself? And my answer is these baseball players and the owners, they're hurting themselves more than they can possibly imagine. And I would say it's probably 70-30 that you're – you're, you're not going to see a baseball season in any we- meaningful fashion. And I hope I'm wrong. Let's start with Mike on the northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. Hi, Mike. Hey, my thoughts are uh, how how can the players in good conscience want 100% of their uh, salaries prorated when uh, there's, like, going to be no fans in the stand or anything, you know? It's like a store owner whose store is closed and the workers want all their pay anyway if it's not going. Yeah, well, that's... There's no, there's, there's no revenue to share, and they and they want everything. Yeah, well, that's give me a break. I mean, these guys can play for a couple million less than that. Still make a decent living, I think, more than I make. Well, thank no, thank more than more than than most people make, and that I mean, I. Look, I, I think this hurts baseball. I think it hurts the owners. I think it hurts the players. As a general rule, I I don't think. I don't think the average person who's either been laid off, furloughed, lost their job during what's been going on for the last several months, or has been working, you know, wearing the mask, driving the Amazon Prime delivery truck, or driving the the truck delivering groceries, or working at the hardware store, or the grocery store, you know, stocking shelves, or working checkout. I don't think they're going to be too sympathetic to the, the players who say, Oh my gosh, you know, they're, they're only going to pay us. I was supposed to get a million for playing a whole season and they're only going to pay me 400,000 for playing, I don't know, a third of a season. I don't think there's going to be a lot of sympathy to that, but I think the damage that is potentially being done to the game is, is just huge. And, well, I'll give you a text here. Jeff, I am the biggest Brewers fan ever. However, I have completely lost interest 
for the rest of the year. Jeff, this is from Mike in Marquette, Michigan. I feel the 2020 season is basically over. Neither side is budging, and the 50-game season the commissioner might go to doesn't even seem worthwhile. I think this is a terrible look for baseball. Um uh, let's see. Jeff, how can we have sympathy for the owners or the players? Most make more in one year than most of us make in a lifetime. Ridiculous. I'm a lifelong fan, but I've learned I can live without baseball. Sure, I, I miss it, though. Um, yeah, I think there, there is that factor. Um, yes, this will hurt them long term. The greed is amazing. Jeff, to your point, baseball has squandered its seasonal advantage. Since no one can see any games in person, with the NBA saturating TV starting in July, like a multi-month NCAA tournament, it's too late to, you know, bother this year. Move on. Try again in 2021. 855-616-1620. Jason in Sheboygan. Jason, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Um, I think it's terrible for baseball. Um, like I said before to your screener, that uh, in 94, I think it was uh, the shutdown, and it took it took really to 98 with McGuire and, and uh, Sosa being on steroids with the home runs to bring right. baseball back. Right. I don't know. If you don't, if you don't play a season, I don't even care. It's 50 games. If you don't play a season this year, I, how do you bring baseball back? Because I also doing some research, and I think next year their contract's up. It, it could be this year and next year they, they'd be done. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, right. And if that happens, you're totally done. I mean, I, people I, are going to – I don't know. No, 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 I think, no I, 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 I understand. And, you know, it's – I guess if I were one of see the this is one of the things everybody thinks of baseball players and 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 you you think of the, the superstars the ones who are making the the tens of millions of dollars a year but that's not most baseball players I mean most baseball players I think the the if first of all it's so very difficult to make it to major league baseball and once you get there most people I think the average career I saw I was listening to something the other day it said it's it's like three years it's maybe three and a half years it's not. It, it for and and most people aren't going to make the ten and fifteen million dollars a year. So I mean, I seriously, I'm sitting there thinking, and if I'm in that that bottom half of of the players, the the folks that are, you know, the the that okay, you're good enough to make the major leagues. Take nothing away from that, but you're not raking in the big bucks, and and you're going to have a, a short shelf life. I mean, you're you're not going to be there for ten years. H- how do you how do you just let a year go by, and so okay, maybe you're not making the million bucks, but you'd still be making three hundred fifty grand. Well, okay, lots of people have to work a long time to make three hundred fifty grand that you're going to be making in a couple months. And I just I, I look at all this stuff, but again, I'm I'm starting to wonder whether or not it's even it's even worth it. And if and, and the sides are all dug in. I mean, it, I you know we've explained that this problem before, but that the deal was when when spring training was canceled. The owners and the players cut this deal that said that we will, the owner said, we'll prorate your salary and we'll pay you for the number of games that you end up playing. The The assumption, though, was that people would, so if you only play half, you only play 80 games, 81 games, you get half your salary. That's the deal. But the assumption was that, 
the, everything's back to normal and you've got fans in the stands and you've got concessions and you've got ticket sales and you've got parking. Well, okay, that's that's now off the table. So that's a big chunk of owner's revenue, like 40%. So the owners are saying, look, we're committed to X amount of money for, for salaries. But the, here's the problem. If, if we don't have any revenue coming in besides TV, it's just – we, we're going to lose. We're going to lose a bunch of money every game we put on. So we're we're not going to. You know, if we play a fifty game season, um, we'll we'll pay you this money. But you know, we're we're not going to play an eighty game season or a hundred and twenty game season because for every game we play, we end up losing a bunch of dough. We want to play more, but you're going to have to players agree to take less money. Okay, well, if, if you get down to the point that you're left with a fifty game season, I, I think it's pretty much. Okay, this will be sort of a novelty, but part of baseball's charm is it, it takes it's every day and it takes games. And to the point that people are making about you're going to have the NBA playoffs in, in late July, and and that's about the same time that the NFL is presumably going to be um, going to be opening up its training camps. And then you know keep in mind all the other stuff that the the golf majors that have been pushed back into the fall and all those other different things that are there. You know, baseball should have been the first ones back baseball should have figured this out and baseball should have a plan to start playing like like yesterday or whenever it was practical they they don't and the fact that they might be the the last people to come back is just it's just mind-boggling wherever you want to blame it i i just i i i think i think this is going to be a lost year and it it pains me to say it because again i'm i'm a fan david in mequon david you're on wtmj good afternoon Uh, thanks for taking my call hi um, I just I worry about the fact that longer term, that the small market clubs, you know, teams like Milwaukee, Cleveland, Minnesota, Cincinnati, they're going to be harmed even more so uh, because they're so reliant on yeah. attendance. Yeah, and I just don't see how the some of the small market teams how they're going to end up, uh, you know, making anything. And uh, you know, you could see. If, Potentially a few of them just go under. I mean, I hate to say it, but, I mean, to another caller's point, I mean, you can't pay these exorbitant salaries if you don't have anybody in the stands. And then if you decide to keep doing what we're doing, it's going to be hard to attract the the fans. And a team like the Brewers, listen, the whole reason why they're afloat is due to us as far as turning out and going through the turnstiles. Right. So... Well, and, and, th- and thanks for calling. Again, I, I keep going back to you. I mean, th- th- one of the things that that people need to recognize, and I, I keep using the phrase habit, but it's true. We Baseball is a habit. You, you get into the habit starting in, in early April of, hey, I, I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it's Tuesday evening, it's Wednesday evening, it's Thursday afternoon, the Brewers are playing, I'm going to turn on the radio. You, you build, and it becomes a habit. Once those things are gone, you, you find other stuff to fill your time. And look, and I, I understand the initial shutdown was beyond anybody's ability to deal with. I get that. But, but now, you know, you, you, you go 
for months and months, and especially since if you are a sports fan, and by the way, I'm a huge sports fan. My wife always kids around. People will say, "Okay, you know what? You know, you know what? When do what? What sports do you watch?" And my wife will interject and say, "He'll watch whatever's on." And there is an element of truth to that. But I mean, I I found different things to watch. I figured out ways to to fill my time. And you know, will I go back into the habit of watching sports when they come back? Yeah, probably. But it's going to be a little bit of it's going to be a little bit of time. And for people who are less diehard of a sports fan than I am, it's going to be even tougher to get them back into that habit. And that's why you know baseball squandered this huge opportunity. And if it comes out that that they can't get their act together and and play at least a decent sized season because you, you can't agree on the money money which is more than most of us will ever see in our lifetime it, it's going to hurt the game people fall out of that habit and i'm really afraid i'm afraid 2020 might be lost because like i say there's going to be all sorts of things competing for people's attention um come come july and baseball's no closer to getting its act together today than they were a couple days ago back with more in just a minute this is jeff wagner wtmj this is jeff wagner on wtmj A single, a double, a triple, and a home run. I'm talking about hitting for the cycle, of course. It is a rare feat. How about doing twice, doing it twice against the same team? Bob Uecker calls another Brewers classic as Christian Yelich hits for the cycle again. Tune in Wednesday at 6. That would be tomorrow night at 6. We're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. And that line is accurate. We don't know when there's going to be live Brewers baseball, but we're one week closer to it. Um, tune in Wednesday at 6, um, Brewers Classic, sponsored by your local carrier dealer, American Family Insurance, Biofuels Association, Singer's Famous Sausage, Engman Taylor, and Sartori Cheese. Uh, interesting controversy in, involving the, the Evers administration, and it, it is, it's one of those things that if this had happened during the Walker administration, this would be the lead story on on every TV newscast, and it would be the subject of, I, I don't know, coverage pretty much throughout the print media in Wisconsin, like day after day after day. The, see, the Evers administration has talked a lot about transparency, and, and candidly, I, yeah, that's pretty much all it is. It's it, it's talk, and they, they they've been able to get away with a lot of that because again, you've got a lot of people in the media that are sympathetic to their causes. But this story is absolutely bizarre. During the the whole COVID nineteen pandemic, remember, it, it seemed like Governor Evers would have a news conference almost daily at, at one thirty, and there would be a number of people that would be there, including people from the Department of Health, et cetera, et cetera. The Health Services Secretary Andrea Palm, you know, she'd do her update on the numbers, and then they'd have other officials as well. Well, one of one of the people that that was there was a woman named. Uh, Jean Ayers. And apparently what, what happened is they, they canned her in early May. She was asked to resign. Now, she was, again, one of the faces of the administration during this, and, and she was she was asked to resign, which is, okay, Lord knows that happens all the time. You look at the Trump administration, and he's going through advisors and things like that, and and. and Tony Evers has the right to dump whoever he wants and hire people, and just like President Trump has the right to hire people. But when Trump does it, 
there's this huge thing. What does this mean that this person's left and why was it that they got fired or whatever? And apparently, in this particular case, the the department, the Evers administration, is completely refusing to first of all, they didn't they didn't disclose that that this woman had been let go. Um, and secondly, they're refusing to now explain to the general public why why that that happened. Apparently, it, it the, the only way that the media found out about it is somebody had sent her an, an email, and they get an automatic response saying she was no longer with the Department of Health and uh, Services. Um, you know. Um, she said she was asked to leave her job that she'd had for, for 14 months. Essentially, she was fired on, on May 10th. Says she wasn't told why she was asked to resign, hadn't received any warnings about the quality of her work, wasn't aware of any disagreements with how she was fighting the, the pandemic, but in essence, just, just boom, just, just gone. And again, she was one of the, the public voices and public faces of what was going on in the Evers administration. So I, I, I bring this up because lots of conversation about transparency and things like that, but the Evers administration, not, not so much so. And again, I, I, he, he has every right to, to put in whoever he wants, but you would think that if you're going to have high profile people that are going to disappear, you might want to explain why that is.